0: Welcome to Bible Study, this is Nick Rita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. Again, it's our privilege to welcome you to the program. Please stay with us for this hour as we are continuing into the book of Ephesians. We are opening the Bible to learn a little bit more. We have a very interesting uh, topic today, Horizontal Atonement, the Cross and the Church. If you like to have your say, you know that you can send us a text message today to zero four eight two zero nine triple eight three. You can be part of this program. Please send us a text message with a thought, a comment, maybe a, a question, or even a prayer request. Let us know where you are listening from and we'll be very happy to give you a shout when that's possible. I would like to welcome our panel today. It's good to have with us, uh, Brenton, welcome to the program.
1: Thank you, Nick. This is going to be a very, very interesting study, and I trust that our listeners will um, really get something out
0: of it as well as ourselves. (laughs) Denise, welcome back. It's good to have you with us.
2: Thank you. It's nice to be back.
0: Len, thank you for joining us. Yes, hello, listeners, and I'm glad you've joined us. Hi, Ligia. It's good to have you part of this discussion too.
3: Yes, thank you so much. I feel very privileged.
0: Will, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Nick. It's good to join the panel. And Joe, it's good to have you uh, part of the panel today. Thank you,
4: Nick. Always good to be with the panel.
0: We have a full panel today and I'm very happy to welcome Jerry also and uh, thank Jerry for, um, Taking a bit of extra time to prepare this, um, discussion, this Bible study today. You are going to facilitate uh, Jerry. Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. Looking forward to it. Well, Jerry, please take us through. Let's, um, learn a little bit more what that means. Horizontal atonement, the cross and the church.
5: The temple in Jerusalem and its immediate
0: surrounds
5: were considered by the Jews in Paul's day. To be sacred, strictly off-limits for anyone who was not a Jew, those who were commonly referred to as Gentiles. To enforce this regulation, a physical barrier in the form of a stone wall measuring four feet high was erected to prevent further access, with at regular intervals the inscription in Latin and Greek containing the following message. No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will have himself to blame for his ensuing death. If nobody other than Jews showed any interest at all in what the temple in Jerusalem represented and the God who was worshipped there, there would be far less cause for animosity between Jews and Gentiles. However, as Gentiles in their own quest for salvation were hearing of the love that the god of the hebrews had for all people not just the jewish nation they were drawn to the temple in jerusalem only to be met with a hostile reception alienated and separated from worshiping the true god were they to be left in the dark and worship the gods of their own making were the jews as god's chosen people justified in excluding all others from the plan of salvation. What would the implications be for maintaining this status quo? How does the cross break down the barriers between Jews and Gentiles and open the way for true reconciliation? We'll address these issues and try to find a biblical response, but first, let's start with a word of prayer. Brenton, could you lead us now?
1: Certainly, uh, Jerry. Father in heaven, we thank you that um, through Jesus the wall of petition has been broken down. We thank you that by his death on the cross, he brought all peoples together. And as we share this subject in our study today, Lord, please open our minds. Help us to realise that Jesus set us an example when he was here on earth. He set an example to his disciples, on how to treat those who were not of their race. But today we live in a world, Lord, where, uh, shall we say, tribalism and uh, racism, unfortunately, is still very much part and parcel of our everyday existence. Lord, may we be able to cut through uh, using your word today to show our listeners how much Jesus loves everyone, and how at the foot of the cross we are all equal. We thank you for this time that we can study your word, and we ask that the Holy Spirit will certainly enlighten each of us as we share together, in
0: Jesus' name. Amen. Mm
2: -hmm.
0: With a little bit of uh, technical difficulties uh, at this time, uh, we are able to say hello to Ken. Ken, is good to have you joining us today also. Thank you Nick we've had a bit of a challenge this morning getting into the system but it appears to be somewhat working at the moment and welcome to the program Thank Jerry you. back to you please the jews must
5: have considered themselves very privileged since they were in fact god's chosen people jesus himself said to the samaritan woman at jacob's well that salvation is of the jews yet paul in romans chapter 3 verse 23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And in Romans six twenty three it says that the wages of sin is death. If that's the case, we're all in the same boat. We are all alienated from God and from each other. That's quite a dilemma, Then, What's the answer?
6: All right, well, <clears throat> the answer is actually in Christ. But I'd like to point out what we're talking about today is atonement. And atonement means making as one. And you were talking, Jerry, about the, uh, the Jews, the Pharisees in particular, who regarded themselves as a cut above the others. They considered themselves the, the elite of society. And it's interesting to examine some of the terminology that the Pharisees used regarding other people. If they thought they were really, well, not that bad, they'd call them publicans. (laughs) And if they thought they were really bad, they would call them sinners. If they called them even worse than that, they'd call them tax collectors or dogs. But it didn't finish there. They also used the term Samaritans as a derogatory term and another derogatory term was uncircumcised. So they had quite a vocabulary describing people they thought lesser than themselves. And there was a big division, as you said in your uh, introductory remarks there, Jerry, about the wall. There was a wall between the... Pharisees, the leaders of the Jewish economy, and the ordinary people. They regarded themselves as the chosen, because God did choose the Israelites earlier on to represent him. But by the time Jesus came along, they were the frozen chosen. They didn't react in a way that was appropriate for people to represent God, to act. In my first couple of sentences, I mentioned the answer to this is in Jesus. We know there are divisions in society now. We have things such as apartheid. And even in United States of America, it wasn't until the 1990s, I think, where black people were given the same rights as, as whites. The answer is... When there's a connection between God and man, there becomes a change in man. The Apostle Paul describes it as we become, as it were, new men or new people. So when the connection between man and God is formed, there should be, as a natural outpouring of that, a connection between man and man now if you think of the shape of a cross which of course is the symbol of Christ or one of the symbols of Christ there you have a vertical pole and you have the horizontal bar where the arms would have been the hands would have been nailed to so the cross actually divides the separation between man and And God, and it also divides the separation between man and man. The answer to the dilemma is the cross, which represents the atonement made by Jesus. Mm. Yeah,
5: very good. Thank you, Len. So we can talk about a horizontal as well as a vertical atonement.
0: That's right.
5: You explained that very well. Thank you. To Nick.
0: Just want to add uh, to what Len was saying there, um, uh, just just to give a little bit more insight. Um, even though through the cross, yeah, we can illustrate that, uh, but even before Jesus, before the cross, that was the s- still the same atonement. Christ was the one which was in the center, even though in a different way in the Old Testament. Because I don't want to uh, just leave that one, uh, that atonement, it's only from 2,000 years ago. Correct.
5: Yeah. Now, speaking to the Gentiles in Ephesus, who had now received the Lord Jesus Christ as their Saviour, Paul reminds them of where they were spiritually before they heard the Gospel and what they were missing previously. But Will, could you comment on what Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3, please.
7: Certainly. I'd like to read it in the contemporary English uh, translation. He says, In the past, you were spiritually dead because of your sins and the things you did against God. Yes, in the past, you lived the way the world lives following the ruler of the evil powers that are above the earth. That same spirit is now working in those who refuse to obey God. In the past, all of us lived like them, trying to please our sinful selves and doing all the things our bodies and minds wanted. We should have suffered God's anger because we were sinful by nature. We were all, we were the same as all other people. You know, for Paul, a Pharisee of the Pharisees, to admit that they all fell short of the glory of God is quite a thing. But God set the Jewish nation apart to represent him, as Lena said. So non-Jews understood that they were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and therefore lived without hope or without God in the world. In case this adoption into the family of God gave them swollen heads and futile spiritual pride, Paul reminds the Gentiles now of the sad position and which they were before grace made the difference. And he can actually say that of us all too. If you listen to the text in Ephesians 2 verse 3, you'll recognize that we're all in the same situation. It says, In the past, all of us lived like them, trying to please our sinful selves and doing all the things our bodies and minds wanted. We should have suffered God's anger because we were sinful by nature. We were all the same as all other people. Mm-hmm. I think um, <clears throat> that that's where grace comes in, and that's well uh, spoken of by by Len. Um, and uh, we're, I'm sure we'll touch it more as we go through this study.
5: Mm. Yeah, excellent. I I'd just like to uh, repeat the first verse from a uh, a contemporary version where it says much the same as what you said. uh, It says here, in the past, you were spiritually dead in trespasses and sins. And as you pointed out, uh, we were no different than anyone else and deserved God's punishment for what we did. But then, on the flip side, Paul proceeds to describe the radical change that has now taken place in verse 13. Ken, could you read that for us and comment, please? Chapter two, verse 13.
1: Certainly, Jerry. Ephesians two and verse 13, we read, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation. We read here, it is Christ who has been responsible for this change between Jew and Gentile. It is he who has broken, so to speak, the wall that we spoke of at the beginning in the Jewish temple, so that all men, stroke women, are equal in the sight of God, as we read in Galatians 3 and verse 28. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus.
5: Yeah excellent. So we're introducing two two new concepts here. One is restoring peace and the other is breaking down the divisions that existed between Jews and Gentiles. Uh, notice how in Ephesians chapter two, Paul uses the word together four times. Joe, can you comment on that please?
4: I was just going to comment on something that Ken said and that, um, the, the tension between the Gentiles and the Jews was something to do with circumcision and the uncircumcision. And I think it was the circumcision. It was more the Jews, I think, that were being hostile to the Gentiles and vice versa. Although I do believe that pro- it went both ways. And of course, um, you know, it, it says here in verse 11 that, um, they, you know, you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision. Um, uh, and then in my version, which is the NIV, it says, which is done in the body by human hands. These, all these things that separate people in the church are done by human hands. And so I think that, um, was something that I just wanted to highlight that, it's not God's work that does that. The divisions are made by human hands for human purposes. But going back to um, uh, the point that you asked me about together, um, Paul is talking about a, a togetherness which unifies the body of Christ but it is contingent on our unity with Christ. Notice um the horizontal and vertical dimensions given in each verse. Um there are some verses like in, chap- in verses 5 of chapter 2 verse 6 and 22 it says um we were made us alive together with Christ raised us up together and made us to sit together. Uh, also being built together for a dwelling place of God in spirit. So there's, there's definitely the horizontal aspect, but there's also the vertical aspects that um, have already been brought out. There are to be no divisions between the members of this one body of believers and We know from what Jesus said was the world should know them by their love. In John 13, 35, it says, By this everyone will know that they are my disciples if you love one another. And it's difficult to love if you're bickering or if there's animosity because of whatever reason. Mm -hmm. It suits the enemy's purposes for there to be fallings out and divisions in the church over trivial things. The only thing that should separate us is we are told is that we are to have no fellowship with unfruitful works of darkness. But that is a discussion for another day. Mm -hmm. Apart from that, there should be unity in the church in Christ. Mm -hmm. So we are together as a group, but we're also together in Christ. And it's one whole.
5: Nick, did I see you wanted to make
4: a comment?
0: Just a very quick one. It was interesting that um – Joe was mentioning about uh, circumcision and uh, done by the hands of men. Now that doesn't take away the importance of circumcision when that was done, because it continued to speaks in the Bible about circumcision in heart. The problem was that um, people start to do that circumcision just as a, a formality, losing the, the meaning of circumcision. And I like to say that in the Bible is nothing like to throw away this or that. It's to understand correctly the meaning behind the uh, the thing. And that's what I wanted to say here. But Circumcision was not a bad thing, because God instituted. But uh, Jesus is inviting us, and through the whole Bible now, in the New Testament in particular, It's to remind us that we need to be circumcised in heart, in the spirit, if you like, in the mind, in everything what we are, not just do formalities as we even do today. And we can fall into the same category today, like the Jews and the Gentiles. Yeah,
5: good point, Nick. Now, now, Joe, you emphasised a couple of times that uh, the word together, uh, in Christ or with Christ, Uh, Raised up together in Christ sitting together in heavenly places in Christ and so forth Being reconciled to God in Christ or through Christ is one thing but being reconciled to your enemies Is something entirely different? Or is it? Can you be reconciled to God and not be reconciled to your enemies? panel, what do you think? Yes, Len
6: very quickly According to the writings of Paul, we were all enemies of God. So we, therefore, have become enemies. So it's not so much, it's not very different because we mustn't think of ourselves as being the pinnacle of righteousness and everybody else is the enemy. No, when we were in our sins, we were the enemies.
5: Okay, uh, I guess what I was trying to get at is, um, can you live in harmony with God, or profess to live in harmony with God, and not in harmony with your fellow man?
6: I don't think that's possible. No.
3: Yes, I would like to add the fact that if my relationship with God is not right in terms of harmony, love, I cannot... Demonstrate I cannot have this peace and harmony with others around me. So first of all is my relationship with God. And secondly comes my relationship with those around me, my family, my neighbors, my co-workers and everyone else.
5: Yeah. You, you can't hang on to a grudge or if you, if you love the Lord with all your heart and soul and strength and mind, then isn't it also True, that we need to love our neighbors as ourselves. We, we can't separate one from the other, can we? That's that vertical and horizontal atonement that we were talking about before. The two go together, you can't separate them.
7: Jesus said himself that uh, pray for those that despitefully you use you. And also, I recall that before the Holy Spirit was poured out at Pentecost, on the apostles, they were praying for unity and love. Uh, Anything that separates us from our fellow man inhibits the receiving of the Holy Spirit and true change in the life.
1: Jerry, I believe there are a couple of examples that Jesus himself gave, and that's the most important thing. We have a look at John chapter 4. We see how Christ treated someone who was regarded by the Jews as an enemy. We see again in Luke chapter 9, when he was on his way to Jerusalem and his disciples wanted to call fire down from heaven on the Samaritan village who wouldn't receive him. His answer was, the Son of Man has come to seek and save everybody. And then we have the example in Matthew chapter 15, where he healed the Canaanite woman's daughter who was possessed by a demon, all of these things in his life before he ever got to the cross were designed to teach, I believe, his disciples that this wall needed to be brought down, Mm -hmm. and he was demonstrating visibly and personally how you go about that. It wasn't, though, until Pentecost that they really began to understand in a marked degree What it meant that the gospel had to go to all the world. Mm. Yeah, indeed.
4: I think a, a, a litmus test for what you were saying for the, you know, can you be reconciled to your enemies? You know, There's a verse in 1 John 4 20 that says, if anyone says, I love God, they're they're claiming this vertical relationship, but hates or works against his Christian brother. He is a liar for the one who does not love his brother or sister, I might add, whom he has seen, cannot love God whom he has not seen. So basically, either it's all right or it's all wrong and you're just deceiving yourself um, that you're actually right with God while you harbour feelings of anger and resentment and hatred.
5: Yeah, well, well put. Denise, it's been said that uh, wherever there are people, there are problems. There were times not so long ago when some so-called Christian churches were inaccessible to people of colour. Is this racist mindset a thing of the past? The concept of reconciliation is of course a hot topic, both within the church and in society generally. Is reconciliation something that happens once only or is it an ongoing process? Could you give some thoughts on that?
2: Yes, um, Jerry, um, I don't think it's a one-off process. I think it's a bit like people saying once saved, always saved. Uh, it's a, an ongoing process that involves, um, grace, forgiveness, um, it's both interpersonal, uh, between individuals. It's also between people groups. So any form of reconciliation involves a change of attitude and a change of behavior. Now, in terms of, um, Christian behavior, that's behavior that's renewed or a relationship that's renewed every day with Jesus. So we look to John chapter three, where we're talking about, where it talks about the new birth. And our relationship with Jesus is a daily, uh, reconnection, recommitment to him, which then, which we renew every day. It's not once saved, always saved. And that, that recommitment that, uh, inviting the Holy Spirit into our lives is the only way that we can be reconciled with other people. So we, we invite the Holy Spirit in, which reconciles us to God. And we ask the Holy Spirit to give us. Um, patience, love, the fruits of the Spirit to uh, use in our relationships with others. And in Ephesians 4.32, it says, Instead, be kind and compassionate to one another, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. So just like uh, being born again is a daily commitment and a surrender to the Holy Spirit, so we offer that to other people. Mm-hmm. Um, in Galatians 3, as Ken read earlier, it talked about, um, our equality in Christ um, It says that No longer is there any spiritual difference Between Jews and Gentiles Slaves and free Or males and females All of us are on the same spiritual level Because of our union with Christ So um, I think it's that um, Relationship That vertical and hor- then the horizontal relationship That comes into play When we're talking about reconciliation
5: Absolutely Thank you for that Now, Brenton, how is the breaking down of the middle wall of separation often explained by some Christian churches? And what are the consequences of misinterpreting what the Apostle Paul is saying here with regard to the abolishing of the law of commandments contained in ordinances? What's he actually teaching us?
1: Well, he's actually teaching us that um, the law actually is established rather than broken down. The first part of your question, uh, says, or asks the question, what do some Christian churches teach? Some Christian churches teach, Jerry, that, uh, the law was done away with at the cross. When I use the term law, I'll be specific. It's dealing with the Ten Commandments. Now that's known today for those of our listeners who may be wondering what that means. It's known as antinomianism. It's a big word, but it simply means without law. Now, the Jews had a whole system that had been given to them by Moses under the direction of God. They had 613 rules and regulations in total. However, when I go back to the book of Deuteronomy, we find when Moses restated um, just before his death the Ten Commandments to them, In verse 21, God says to Moses, Oh, that they would keep my laws and my commandments forever so that they would live a long and happy life. Now, in addressing this particular issue, what does it do? Well, it brings about confusion. If you believe the Ten Commandment law was done away with at the cross, the laws of the land, our Westminster system of government, our Westminster system of law, is largely based on the Ten Commandments. You shall not kill Etc. cetera, et cetera. you shall not steal All of those are commandments from the Ten Commandments Now, if you do away with those things You, you introduce a, a problem Because you talk to people I remember talking to someone years ago Where he was telling me, praise the Lord The law has been done away with And I said, um, okay I said, uh, is it okay to kill or steal? No I said, what's that based on? The Ten Commandments, but I said, you're telling me the Ten Commandments have been done away with. The Ten Commandments are the, shall we say, God designed them for our happiness. He designed them to, for us to work, I believe, within an area where we are safe. The Ten Commandments by, by keeping the Ten Commandments, not mechanically, but by keeping them in the right spirit, the spirit of a, a response, because of God's love, he is confining us, and Paul uses this term, confining us within his will and his ways. And as long as we're within his will and his ways, we're safe. And uh, I, I think that's the important issue here. Romans 3.31 says very clearly, uh, do we then uh, make void the law through faith? Paul says absolutely not. We establish the law. Just a brief comment, too, on what Denise said. Um, Having pastored a number of churches, um, Jerry, some of whom are almost totally um, made up of people from other cultures, I have found personally, and this is a personal testimony, the best way to break down, shall we say, confusion is to actually go to these people's places, sit down at their table and eat meals and a fellowship with them, and get to know what their customs and their cultures are and respect what they, what they have. Even if it may be something that is totally foreign to you in doing that, I believe that that is a good way, a practical way in which we can break down, um, not just prejudice, but misunderstanding between uh, different cultures and different um, groups. Again, it comes back to, I think, Jerry, the bottom line, hmm. the bottom line is, Until we all accept that we are sinners, nothing is really going to change. You're always going to have this tiered system that I think I'm better than they are or vice versa. But if you recognize that at the foot of the cross, we are all sinners and Christ's grace covers all of us. I think that's where it has to start.
5: Yes, thank you, Brendan. Joe, you wanted to say something?
4: Yes, thank, Brenton, that was very, very good about the Ten Commandments. And some churches do believe, like in these texts, like in verse 14 or other 15, by setting aside in his flesh, the law with its commands and regulations, yes. they, they interpret that to be the Ten Commandments when it's clearly not. If we look at, um, verse 11 and 12, they're talking about circumcision and uncircumcision. And, you know, this was all part of the ceremonial law. And of course, when Jesus died, he set aside in his flesh, in his incarnation, by dying on the cross, he set aside in his flesh, the law with its commandments and regulations. So which laws did he set aside? It wasn't the Ten Commandments. It was the ceremonial law. There was no need. They didn't compel Jews, uh, sorry, Gentiles to be Mm -hmm. circumcised because now they were to be circumcised. Their circumcision was of the heart rather than of the body. And so, um, all the uh, sacrifices and all the other bits and pieces that. The Jewish Christians really wanted to hang on to and wanted to enforce were done away with and Jesus set them aside when he came on, came here and died. And so in the purpose of that was his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two and make, making that peace. I think we're going to discuss that a little bit further.
1: Yeah, Yeah, excellent. Thanks, Joe. Brenton, you wanted to then I'll come. Yeah. Um, thanks, Joe, for, um, adding that to what I said. Just just a point that has occurred to me, whilst we agree that it's not the Ten Commandment law that was done away with on Calvary, um, why do we know that? Because it uses the word, Jerry, in both Ephesians and in the book of Colossians, it uses the word that was against us. Now, for goodness sake, are the Ten Commandments against us? The simple answer is no, they're not. So it can't possibly be referring to that. Can I suggest this, and I don't want to prolong this too long, but can I suggest that all the rules and regulations that were given to Israel were misused by the Jews? If they had been used properly, I believe they should have drawn the Gentiles and other people to the true God rather than repelled them. But we all know that when Israel came back from captivity in Babylon, they realised that one of the reasons they went into captivity was worshipping other gods. So they put all these rules and regulations in place to keep themselves separate from others. In actual fact, what they were doing is they were not fulfilling what God had asked them to do because remember, Abraham was told that in him all nations of the earth would be blessed. So they were setting themselves apart. They had an apartheid system way back there. And unfortunately, by the time Christ came along, it was so strong that they even had an apartheid system within their own own culture. As Len has quite rightly pointed out, you have a situation where the Pharisees are the elite and everybody else is on a different level. And you have what we call the parable or the story of the Good Samaritan, where the scribe asks the question, who is my neighbor? Now, he's not talking about uh, people from other cultures and uh, the heathen. He's talking about people within his own society. This is still a problem today. Until we accept that we are all sinners and we're all saved by God's grace, I believe nothing will change. We have to accept that. That's what the Holy Spirit has to drive home to us. Absolutely.
5: Yes, thank you. Denise?
2: Um, Just a quick comment on what Joe was saying about the ending of the ceremonial law. Wasn't wasn't the ripping of the curtain in the temple supposed to be a symbol of the end of the ceremonial law, but the, the Jews couldn't handle <gasps> that. They they wanted to hang on to it and keep going.
1: That's true, Denise. Yeah, absolutely. And just
5: quickly, perhaps, uh, too, the original ordinances that we speak of here, uh, they, were, they came from God. They weren't against anybody. But what they had be turned into... Was this whole body of of rules and regulations that uh, that made it almost impossible uh, to, uh, to 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 do what you know what was required, the right thing according to to the to Jews. So um, uh, that was all done away with, and the ceremonial aspect of the law for sure. We have to move on. Um, Nietzsche, a comment from you, please. Um, do you see any contemporary dividing walls between Christian churches? or even within churches for that matter. And in light of what we've been studying, should they exist? Should all the Christian churches bury the differences and join hands, as many believe that Jesus is praying for in John 17, verse 21?
3: Jerry, I think dividing walls existed between Christian churches always, in every generation, because, you know, there were tensions among the Christ, wider Christian community because of different views understandings and beliefs different kind of knowledge of the truth or interpretations and but this shouldn't exist because they need to be confronted they would be uh, um, to be overcome to be solved uh, because through the grace and love of Christ we can overcome these tensions and uh, we cannot create a standard portray of people because the standard standard of people God's accepted, God's created not us. So we have to love people. We have to accept people and talk together and agree on the word of God.
6: Yes, so I think it's very important what has just said. <clears throat> Some of you may remember the Pope's envoy, Tony Palmer. Yes. Said, let's put all differences aside for the sake of unity. We'll sort doctrine out. And he pointed up to, up uh, to the heavens. We'll sort their doctrine out up there. Well, that's actually a load of rubbish because it's important that the things that we know are right that we should adhere to. And for the sake of unity, it's, it's not unity. It's disunity, in my opinion. Mm. We have to be totally committed to God. Now, I just want to make another point in relation to what Lydia has just said and what was being discussed before. In Colossians chapter two, verse 14, it talks about the law being nailed to the cross. Mm. You read many versions of the Bible and that's what it says. However, some versions, particularly the older versions, point out that the law was the handwriting of ordinances. ordinances. And these were actually put in a pocket on the, in the side, on the outside of the Ark of the Covenant. So we have Colossians 2.14 and Ephesians 2.15 that talk about the same thing. It's important to remember and I I want to really stress this. With regard to the moral law, Jesus said, do not think that I have come to destroy the law of the prophets. I did not come to destroy, but to fulfill. For assuredly, I say to you, till heaven and earth pass away, one jot or one tittle will by no means pass from the law until all has been fulfilled. So the people who say that the law meaning the Ten Commandments has been abolished are contrary they are contradicting the words of Jesus and this is important to remember that the law that's been passed was the ceremonial law which was no longer needed Jesus was the sacrifice to which all those other sacrifices pointed
5: Amen.
3: I would like also to mention that Jesus was praying in John seventeen twenty one. He was saying, I pray that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. Amen. Here's
5: Brenton.
1: I think a guy by the name of John may have made the comment that love is the fulfillment of the law. So this coming together in a spirit of unity and love, love, the real love, the genuine article, is the fulfilling of the law. And so therefore, if we're going to leave it till we get up there to sort out these doctrinal issues, I think we've got some serious problems down here because we totally misunderstand what Christ said when he said that, Father, may they be one just as we are one. Jesus said at the end of his life, "I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in His love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love."
5: Amen. We have to move on. Uh, Nick, it's clear that the Jews and Gentiles despised each other. In verses fifteen and sixteen of chapter two, he uses the term enmity. We would probably say that they had a mutual loathing, even a hatred, for one another.
0: What were they missing? Jerry, a simple answer is Christ. That's the simple answer. We talk about uh, things about the Old Testament and New Testament. The whole Bible, from the beginning to the end, was referring to the promised one. Right from the beginning in the Garden of, uh, Garden of Eden, God promised those people who disobeyed, that they need a Savior. And I believe this is the most important thing uh, for us today, and maybe the lesson which we should take from this discussion today, the horizontal atonement. If we claim to be Christians, to follow Christ, we need to show that. We need to live as Christ did as our example. Now there are people in Jesus' time, and there are people in our days and all over in history who are from different uh, groups, tribes. Let's look at Paul, for example, because we are studying one of his letters here. Paul was a Jew, but didn't know Christ and he was persecuting those people who believed in Jesus until he met Christ after that he was a different person we can look at some gentiles let's look at the woman at the well the samaritan woman she will had all sorts of uh, uh, opinions in regard to the jews There are differences definitely there. But when she met Christ, she was a different person. What about Cornelius? He was a Gentile too, a centurion. But when he met Christ, he was a different person. And we read in the Bible about the good things he did for the cause of God. What I want to say here is this. We need Christ in our hearts, not just on our lips, not just in our sermons, not just in our discussions. We need Jesus in our hearts and that to be seen everywhere around us. My dear friend today listening to this broadcast, I'll invite you to take an offer which we continue to make available I believe this is very important uh, to have in your hands a daily devotional. God's amazing grace. If you like that uh, offer from us, please send us a text message to zero four eight two zero nine triple eight three. The code is S A B S one. Please send us a text message and enjoy about that wonderful devotional.
5: Brendan,
1: you have a brief comment? Yes, very, very brief. Um, Just adding to what Nick said about Cornelius, this is the comment that Peter made when he met Cornelius. He said, then he said to them, you know how unlawful it is for a Jewish man to keep company with or go to another, um, a person of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any man common or unclean. I reckon that's a great text, and it's a great text for us to use because we recognise it was God who showed Peter that he should not call people unclean. The same God that showed Peter that um, he should not call any person unclean is the same God we need today to show us the same thing.
5: When we accept Jesus into our heart, something wonderful happens he brings peace. yeah brings peace jesus was a preacher of peace in fact he's called the prince of peace in isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 in the sermon on the mount jesus said blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of god i find there a clear expectation by god of all those who call themselves christians establishing peace keeping the peace why does this so often seem an never ending task? Will, could you shed some light on that?
7: I think we've established from the comments of the panel so far that without God, there is no hope of peace, both within ourselves and in our relationship with others. Conflict is very evident in a society that chooses to live without the sanctifying influence of the Holy Spirit and truth. Um, it's very much the world in which we find ourselves today in, Jerry, Jesus is the answer, as the panel has so far said.
5: Yes, amen. So how do you proclaim the gospel's message of peace to a world that has never been more at war with itself and has to engage in constant peace talks and the futile attempt to prevent the inevitable next confrontation? Will there ever be peace on earth? Denise, can you read... Uh, John fourteen twenty seven and comment.
2: Sure, um, the irony there of the peace talks and yet we're, we're more at war than in peace is very interesting. In John fourteen twenty seven, it says, Jesus says, "I want you to have the same inner peace that I have, not the kind of peace that the world gives, but that abiding peace with the Father that only I can give. Don't be afraid of Him because He loves you." So. When we look at peace, peace is what Jesus offers to each one of us through his death and through accepting the Holy Spirit in our lives. And he wanted to offer this peace to the disciples when he left because uh, it's the opposite of fear and they were afraid uh, that they wouldn't be able to carry out the commission when he went back to heaven. But he gave himself for them, he gives himself for us, he preached peace. Uh, and yet, the world is full of trouble it 's full of strife and in james four one uh, it talks about the opposite of um, peace, which is something that the devil brings and While we have sin and mm. and Satan in the world we 're never going to have peace. so the only time that true peace can come is when Jesus comes to set up his eternal kingdom. Mm.
5: Yeah, excellent. Thank you, Denise. Thank you, Denise. You. Now, then one of the main teachings in the epistle of Paul to the Ephesians is the magnificence of God's love at work in and through Christ for lost sins. In verses uh, 11 to 22 of chapter 2, Paul introduces a brand new paradigm. The old model with this never-ending conflict and division offered no hope, no peace, no unity. What imagery does... Paul used to describe God's ideal for
6: humanity. All right, in verse 15 of Ephesians 2, it says God's purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two, thus making peace. So with all the divisions, God has a plan to have one. Actually, there are a number of words. He talks about a holy temple. He talks about a new man, a new body. He talks about fellow citizens. He talks about members of God's household. But in in the terminology, making a new building, it says makes a holy temple. Not two, one.
5: Yeah, good point. Uh, In fact, Joe, when people buy a block of land in order to build a new house it can take up to two years or even more sometimes Mm -hmm. before they can finally move in after the house has being built now ephesians 2 uh, verse 22 says in whom you are being built together for a dwelling place of god in the spirit so this metaphor of a building under construction as it were applying to god's people appears to indicate an ongoing process when's it completed
4: Well, it's an interesting uh, metaphor because buildings, as you know, do not continue to grow once they're finished. Um, generally, um, additions can be constructed, but it isn't the living organic thing, um, like the building of God, which continues to grow and change and become ever more beautiful. And its true beauty isn't in its uh, beautiful cathedral, like, you know, Corinthian pillars and vaulted ceilings or frescoes. In fact, the beauty of it, of it, of a church is to the extent that it reflects God's love and character to each other and the world around. So it is really a building under construction. It's a living, vibrant thing which allows each member of the church to continue to grow, but also allows for growth in number and size. Hence, it is a process, but it isn't one that humans can control. It is God's grace that enables any personal growth, as well as the growth of a congregation, which is, of course, as has been mentioned, demonstrated how members relate to one another and also how they relate to God. Mm-hmm. The vertical has to be right before the horizontal can improve. And your question, when when will it be completed? And it's a good question. At each stage, it is perfect, and yet it has a lot of growing to do. It is the object of his supreme regard and the apple of his eye. But is it perfect? No one can claim that. Christ makes up for the lack. So when will it be completed? The answer is it is complete in Christ now, and the development is ongoing.
5: Amen. Listeners, to summarise this week's discussion, it is clear that God's salvation is equally available to both Jews and Gentiles. Nobody or no race can claim superiority or preferential status. The Bible says categorically that whosoever believes in Jesus Christ can be saved. We are all of equal importance in God's eyes. God's law requires us to love him supremely and our neighbour as ourself. If we would live our lives according to this commandment, there would be no walls or barriers to create animosity and division between us, but a realisation of the value of every individual created in the image of God and paid for by the same blood that secured our own salvation. Nick, can I ask you to close with a
0: word of prayer? Dear Father in heaven, almighty God, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for uh, his sacrifice. Thank you for uniting us in him through his blood. We pray that we'll remember always this. Whatever we're going through in these days, with difficulties, challenges, different opinions, we'll remember that Jesus prayed that he wants us to be one in you. I pray that you'll help us, Lord, to search deeply our hearts, that we may consider you to be the one to lead and guide us, rather than than our own plans, intentions. May your Holy Spirit work in our hearts and bless us to experience this wonderful atonement, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, my dear friends, uh, the time is up for us today. Thank you, everyone, for your participation today. Please join us again uh, next time when we are going to continue in the book of uh, Ephesians and we'll have a wonderful study again, the mystery of the Gospel. Until then, may God richly bless you and have a wonderful walk in the footsteps of Jesus.